church have been in the midst of a study in the book of Daniel. We've been going Daniel 1 through and we are in chapter 9 right now. So if you will open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, if it's on your phone you can do that. If it's in the pew in front of you you can do that. If you brought your own Bible and blew the dust off of it this morning, I hope you didn't have to do that. You can open that. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And I'd like to just uh, start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, be with us today as we explore something that seems to be going away from ourselves and from our churches and from our institutions. Lord, bless us as we study this sacred book. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. One of the striking images that we get in Daniel 9 is how opposite Daniel is from all the kings of Babylon. Daniel is the epitome of great leadership. He doesn't get swept up in the drama and in the sin of all the people around him. He is just steady. He's a humble servant of God. He doesn't take credit when things go well. Well, I did this and I did this and I did this. He always defers all of the blessings to God. No, it's not me, it's God. No, 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 it's not me, it's God. I got to tell you, I get sick of that. I get done at church, somebody's preached a great sermon, and I want to go thank them for what they did. I want to go shake their hand and give them a hug and say, man, you did great. And every time I do that, no, 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 it wasn't me, it was God. It it wasn't me, it was God. I get sick of it because, because maybe there's something in me that likes to take a little credit. Maybe there's something in me that when folks come up to me after a, a, a sermon and say, oh, pastor, you're such a blessing, maybe there's something in me that wants to say, well, Well, yes, I am quite a blessing, aren't I? (laughs) Gift of God I am. Just look at me. Daniel doesn't take credit when things go well. He always says, no, no, no. It's God's blessings. Very much opposite of the leaders around him. They all get consumed with pride and arrogance. Story after story in the book of Daniel that we've heard from myself and from Pastor Chantel and Pastor Jen. Story after story details the arrogance and the self-seeking kings that rule the empires of this world. We see it now, don't we? Look at me. Vote for me. I'm the best. That guy, oh, he's horrible. But you should vote for me because I'm better than everybody else. In the book of Daniel, they make images to themselves, maybe like a campaign poster. 
giving themselves all the credit for all the glories of their kingdom. And they make rules that say things like, if you don't only pray to me for the next 30 days, I'll throw you into a den of lions. Daniel chapter 7 and 8, they give this prophetic glimpse into the future of how arrogant the rulers of this world are going to be. The the rulers of this world in Daniel 7 and 8 get so full of themselves that they actually consider themselves to be at the level of the commander of the heavenly host and they pollute the sanctuary with lies about God to make themselves look better. Juxtaposed to the arrogance of kings is the humility of Daniel. We see it in those first few verses of chapter 9, how Daniel is so grounded in the word of God, he's so grounded in prophecy that he sees in prophecy an end coming to that captivity in Babylon. He sees, he's, he's measured the time. Daniel's an old man now. His wrinkles got wrinkles. He looks in the mirror in the morning and he thinks, man, I wish somebody would have invented an iron by now. He's an old man. And he realizes that in his old age, he might get to go home. He might get to go back to the promised land. He might get to go back to Jerusalem. And he gets excited. He sees the end of this prophecy coming and he goes, okay, Okay, what's an appropriate response to going back home, to being released from the Babylonian captivity? So what's he do? What does he do to prepare himself and his people to go away from Babylon, to come out of Babylon and go back into the promised land? He confesses. Daniel confesses confession this is a word we don't use much anymore we don't talk about it anymore it's kind of been stolen away from christianity confession when we think about confession i think we think about uh what what the tv portrays if the tv is going to show any kind of confession right you you see somebody walking into a catholic church and going into a little booth and there's a little screen there and you can kind of see who it is you hope you don't know who it is and 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 you start telling all the all the naughty things you did the last couple of weeks to the priest and then he gives you a list of things to do to get forgiveness that's what a lot of people think confession is now. In the words of Enigma Montoya, I don't think that word think, means what you think it means. For the Princess Bride fans out there. Confession is one of the most beautiful gifts that God has given to the human race. And Daniel does an outstanding job of expressing himself through confession. In Daniel chapter 9. Look at verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice here that a part of confession is saying out loud Real positive things, affirming things, confessing your love for another human being or for for God. 
is a valid and necessary part of confession. It's not just listing all your naughty things. It's confessing how you feel about the person that you're talking to. And sometimes, sometimes confession can be intimidating. Confession can be risky. Sometimes confession can be downright scary. I remember the first time I ever worked up the courage to confess my love for another person. I was in third grade. I think I have a picture of it. Oh yeah, there I am. I'm the tall one in blue. I was always the tall one in blue. And there was a girl in my third grade class that captivated my attention. She was everything a 10-year-old boy could ever want in a woman. She's the one all the way down on the right in pink. Twyla Jensen. Oh, Twyla Jensen. I had a thing for Twyla Jensen. She had no idea I had a thing for her, but I had a thing for Twyla Jensen. Look at her. Angelic, isn't she? She was in my 10-year-old mind. I would dream dreams that I would rescue Twyla Jensen from all kinds of situations in life, and she would be so happy, she would throw her arms around me and give me a hug. Those were the best dreams. I would wake up thinking, I love me some Twyla Jensen. And then my love ran into a snag. And that snag was named Eddie Brinkmeyer. Eddie Brinkmeyer is in uh, blue in the middle, looking very scared. <laughs> Crystal Springs Elementary School, the public school about two miles from my house, had a problem, and the problem was both Eddie and I were vying for the affections of Twyla's love. Now, truth be told, we weren't very good buyers. In fact, how we vied for her love was we would sit at lunch and argue about who we thought she liked best. She had no idea this was going on. Well, finally, we worked up a conviction, and we worked up a plan and I was going to be the spokesperson. We were going to approach the throne of Queen Twyla, which was her desk at lunch. And we were going to ask her who she loved more. So we uh, finished our lunch as fast as we could. Probably had stuff in our teeth. And we made sure we were halfway presentable as a 10-year-old can be. And we walked up to... Twyla's desk and she looked at us and she didn't know what to expect. She had kind of a surprised look on her face and I cleared my throat. <clears> Twyla. <throat> Back then it was more like, Twyla. <laughs> Eddie and I have been having a discussion about you and we both love you very much. And we would just like to know 
who of us you love more than the other. And she looked down at her Twinkie and looked back up at us without cracking a smile on her face. And she said, I hate you both. Sometimes confession can be a tough thing to do. I had a couple of girls that I liked in high school that after being in relationship with them for a little bit, I would say, I love you. And they would look at me and say, oh, um, thanks for that. It's good. Confession can be risky, yet without taking the risk of confessing our love, we will never know what vistas our relationships with each other can reach. I'm so glad I got the courage to look at that beautiful blonde girl that was new in church and said, oh, I'm thinking I want to say, uh, I love you. And I just hung it out there, wondering what was going to come back. And I got the best I love you too. My wife, Wendy, and I, we confess our love to each other still, 31 years later on a regular basis. Love you, love you too. Say it every day. It's something that we need to hear from each other. And every time we confess our love for one another, it reaffirms in our own hearts how we feel truly about one another. Even in tough times, even when we're having a, a disagreement, maybe sometimes it sounds a little more tentative, our confession of love. Maybe it's more of a, um, love you, love you too. But still, we have to confess that love for one another. Confession is good for the confessor. When we hear ourselves saying, I love you. When we hear ourselves affirming our God, affirming each other. It grounds us more deeply in that love than if we don't confess at all. The Bible is full of people confessing their love and adoration for God. The Psalms are filled with confessions of, of, of how a person loves God. And, and, and David writes, oh, you're powerful and you're full of majesty and you're good and you're full of love and you're, you're full of mercy. Confession after confession after confession about who God is. Jesus himself confessed his love and adoration and loyalty to his Father. He said it out loud. He just didn't hold it in. Often, our prayer lives are filled with requests. Dear Jesus, I want this and I want this and I need this and I need this and you need to fix this because it's a mess. I made the mess, but you need to fix it. And, I, and, and, and we just have this big list of, of requests from God like he's our personal Amazon.com. We just click all the things we want and then we say amen. When our prayer life leaves out confessions 
of God's greatness, when our prayer life leaves out confessions of God's love, we end up being shortchanged. Confessing God's goodness is a huge part of our relationship with him. At least it should be. I have seen marriages where husbands and wives never confess their love and adoration for each other. They aren't very good marriages. The same goes for our relationship with God. He calls us his sons and daughters. He looks at us and he said, oh, I'm so excited over you. I I just want to sing over you. You're my beloved in who I am well pleased, he says. But what do we say out loud about him? What do we say about our God? In the end, the Bible tells us that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the end, every tongue will do that. But why not do it now? Why not be in the kind of relationship with Jesus now that has you confessing his goodness in your life on a daily basis? You know, the Lord has been good to you. And if you don't recognize it, it's not because he hasn't been good to you. It's because you haven't recognized it. Confession is good for the soul. But there's another part of confession. A critical part that we can't leave out this morning. In fact, it's the, it's the bulk of Daniel chapter 9. It's not an easy part at all. In fact, it's harder to confess your wrongdoings than it is to confess your feelings about somebody else. I think it's harder to say I was wrong than it is to say I love you. In fact, often in our marriage, I would rather just look at my wife and smile and say, I love you, instead of saying, you know what, I was a rat. I was wrong, and what I did was was uncalled for, and I'm sorry. Look at what Daniel says to God in his confession. After he confesses God's goodness, Daniel confesses sin. Verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and we've rebelled. We've turned away from your commandments and laws. We haven't listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land. Notice what Daniel doesn't do here. Daniel doesn't pull the blanket up under his chin and lay his head on his pillow and say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Amen. No. He gets specific. He details the sins of Israel. I have a friend who I had to apologize to. I felt embarrassed and afraid because I did something to him that he didn't deserve. And I went to him and I wanted to seek forgiveness and I, and I wanted to confess. And so I went to him and I said, listen, I'm really sorry, uh, I'm really sorry for what I did to you. Um, and, and, and please forgive me. You know what he did? He looked at me and he said, 
So uh, what did you do to me? I, I, you know, I offended you, and no, how did you offend me? What did you do? He made me say it. He made me say it. And I felt like just crawling out of my own skin and just, he made me say it. It's the most difficult thing for people to do. In this day and age, instead of confession and remorse, we get things like, well, uh, I'm sorry if what you think I did offended you. It's not a confession. That's just saying, hey, I didn't do anything wrong, but hey, if you're offended, it's on you. Why are you being so sensitive? This kind of confession puts the blame on the offended person and not on the offender. This kind of confession doesn't recognize my part in the sin that broke relationship. Confession isn't necessarily for the person you offended. Daniel's confession wasn't to make God feel better. Daniel's confession wasn't to convince God to let him go back to Jerusalem. Confession is good for the confessor. Confession is a gift. Confession is good for the soul. While I was working at an Adventist Academy in North Carolina, we had a mission trip to Costa Rica, Alex. It was brutally hot there. Were you guys brutally hot there? Oh, we were like 105 in the shade. It was a great trip, though. Built a ch- we did a lot of the things you did. Medical clinic, built, built a church, had an evangelistic series. It was awesome. Lots of good memories. But then after we got back from the trip, the trip took kind of a sad turn. My student association pastor came into my office and sat down, and she had this horrible look on her face. And I, and I said, Natasha, what, what's going on? Oh, Pastor Mark, I've got something that i got to tell you. Well, what is it? I'm afraid but I feel like I really need to get this off my chest. I feel like I really need to confess to you. Well, I'm I'm not a priest, Natasha. No, you need to hear this. Pastor Mark, on the way back from our trip on the airplane, one of my friends, one of our students, had snuck over to a store and they bought a bottle of alcohol and they offered me some. Pastor Mark, I drank it. In fact, four of us did. Pastor Mark, it's killing me. And I just felt like I needed to just take my lumps and confess to you. I mean, she was in tears. Tears, bubbles out the nose, crying, convulsing, like she had done a hundred sit-ups. I was Kleenex after Kleenex I was throwing at her, and, and she, was, she was just broken. So I said, do you want to tell me who else was involved? And she said, no. I just want to tell you that I was involved. I don't want to rat out anybody else. I just, I just want to get things between you and me and me and God good. And I felt like I needed to just tell you, and you got to do what you got to do with it, but I had to tell you. So I felt it necessary to follow up and clean the mess up. I made an announcement in, in an assembly and said, I understand there were some things going on and, and there were some people involved and If you need to make a confession, you need to come into my office and you need to tell me what's going on and we can deal with it from there. So of the four, 
Natasha had already come. Two others came into my office, a guy and a girl. It was us two. Again, tears, remorse. All three of these young people came into Ad Council and they were disciplined in, in, a, in a redemptive way. A way that would actually make this experience better for them. That they came and confessed. And they ended up graduating strong and, and, and people, their reputation was restored. And people really respected them for telling the truth and coming and confessing what they had done. But then there was that last person that by process of elimination, the whole staff and student body figured out who the person was that bought the alcohol and poured it. Everybody knew, but nobody was saying the name. The students that confessed wouldn't rat on him, and, and, and nobody else was saying the name. I'm going to call him Rico, change the name to protect the innocent here. I brought Rico into my office, and I said, listen, Everybody knows it. Do you have a confession for me? Nope. Don't know what you're talking about. Denied everything. So ad council brings him in. All these scary teachers that do discipline are sitting around the table, a big official-looking table, and, and, and he sits there, and with his jaw set with confidence, he looked every single one of us in the eye and denied everything. While the young people were going through their discipline and suffering through the humiliation of exposing themselves and their sin, he was getting off scot-free because we really didn't have any proof that it was him. And then something beautiful happened. There were two students that brought with them, now this is back in the day, nowadays you can just do everything on your phone, brought with them little video cameras with little tiny tapes in them. Remember those? And they were videotaping the whole trip. And then, as we were getting ready to edit these tapes for a mission presentation like we had here for church, we noticed that in one of the tapes that was taken in the airplane, you could actually see on the tape Rico pouring the alcohol in Natasha's cup and then looking around and hiding it again. It was in the background, but you could see it. Oh, glorious day. We call Rico and say, listen, this isn't over. You need to come back into Ad Council. Rico got so offended that we were persecuting him that he called his parents. They're up to it again. They're persecuting me again. And he brings his parents into ad council. And the principal looks at Rico and says, Rico, we want to give you one last chance to come clean. One last chance to confess. And Rico denied everything, and his parents started yelling at the staff and saying, why are you persecuting our son? He's never lied to us before, and we don't expect he's ever going to lie to us again. And the principal reached over, and he pushed play on the device at the end of the table. And the evidence was shown, and Rico confessed. He started singing like a bird. 
But it was too late. And Rico received a great opportunity to attend another school. You see, confession would have given Rico an opportunity to receive discipline, to learn and to grow and to become a better person. Instead, Rico received punishment. Punishment is the natural result of unconfessed sin. And punishment separates and eventually destroys. See, everybody's going to confess that Jesus is Lord. But only some people will have gone through discipline. There's going to be a lot that choose punishment because they refuse to confess. It's what happened to Lucifer in heaven. Lucifer had ample chances to confess and repent, and he could have been redeemed, saving a lot of mess. Instead, he denied his sin and he held on to it. And his inability to confess that Jesus is Lord led Lucifer to a place where punishment happened. And punishment will eventually end Satan. All because he was too proud to confess that Jesus was the Lord of his life. Daniel realized the value of the gift of confession, so he confessed. He wasn't confessing his people's sin in order to get God to give them some sort of a blessing to get out of Babylon. He was confessing their sin because God was going to deliver them from Babylon. God doesn't hold out on us because we don't confess. The Bible tells us that he blesses both the righteous and the wicked. He loves all of his children the same. The difference is those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and those who confess and repent of their rebellious ways end up in a great relationship with God where the natural consequence of blessings will happen that a rebellious person can never, ever see. Daniel realizes that confession is good for the soul. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that even God's last day people are going to end up in Babylon. God's last day people are going to be in Babylon and there's going to be a call. And the call is, come out of her, my people. I'm wondering if it isn't time for our church, for our denomination, to start doing some confessing. We heard Elder Dan Jackson in a meeting earlier this week say that our church needs to do some soul searching on how we do things, on learning to let certain things go. Well, I'm going to tell you that's never going to happen in a corporate church until we get leaders and members who are willing to stand up and confess we're not all the things that you've called us to be. We've gotten stuck and we need to move forward with your help. We need that kind of confession in this church. But it's easy to be critical of an institution. What about you? What about me? 
Have we somehow drifted away from God and who God has called us to be? Have we neglected to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? We may have done it when we were 12, when we got baptized, but what about now? Is Jesus still your Lord? Are you still confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord? Are you still saying, love you, love you too? I'm wondering if there isn't someone here today that needs to confess. Now, I'm not talking about standing up and saying, oh, you wouldn't believe what I did to my wife the other day. She's still mad at me. I'm not talking about that. I'm wondering if there's somebody in this room today that feels like Jesus did on the cross, and they feel like just confessing, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or maybe there's somebody in this room that needs to confess, God, I haven't told you this in a really long time, but you are magnificent, you're powerful, and I love you. I'm wondering if there isn't someone in this room today that finds themselves in the far country of Babylon. You don't even know how you got there, but you're there. And you need to come out of Babylon and come back to the promised land, the arms of Jesus. And you need to just confess, Lord, Lord, here I come. I'm coming back. I, I need your embrace again. I'm wondering if there isn't somebody in this room that's never found themselves in the arms of Jesus that just needs to, needs to come to Jesus for the first time. Whatever your case is, here's what I'd like to do. Instead of me standing up here and saying, is there yet another Elder Dick Barron once in a, in a meeting said, he, there was a long call, and at the end of the call he said, is there somebody with blue eyes that the Lord is calling? <laughs> he started getting specific with people. I'm not going to do that. What I'd like you to do is this. In front of you in your pews, and, and, and they're kind of scattered around, so you might want to share, are some cards called link cards. They're big, long cards. And there's some pencils in your pews. And what I'd like you to do is take one of those and write your confession on there. The thing that you just need to tell Jesus. See, weeks like this are kind of sobering weeks. They, they help you do some self-realization. And when you see somebody die at such a young age, you realize, man, um, life is short. And you just don't know. Maybe I need to just do some confessing right now. If you're interested in, in coming to the Lord for the first time and getting baptized, man, write your name down, say that. And what I'd like you to do is, as the choir is singing a song, and as Bruce is playing beautifully on the piano, the crossover here that we had set up for the funeral service, in front of it there's just some tacks. And just take that confession, tack it to the cross, and walk back to your seat. 
So write your confession down. Bring it to the cross. Put it on. Go back to your seat. For those of you who feel comfortable, let me pray. And then we'll hear a song. And you can come up as you will. Father in heaven, Lord, we confess that all the glory is yours. We confess that we are wayward in who we are sometimes. We confess that you are so much better than we think you are. We confess that we fall very, very short. And we confess that we want you to do something about it by entering into our lives and guiding us along. Thank you for always hearing our confessions and for responding in beautiful ways. In Jesus' name.